Ooh, that's even better. That's yeah. the I love that's the fact that's the conspiracy. I saw someone throw a meme up. They're like, dude, COVID ain't real. It's just a way to keep us locked down so they can change the batteries and the birds. This is Rolling Rocks Radio with Jerry Armentrout, Cody Carter, and Scott Barker. Welcome to Rolling Rocks Radio, the podcast where we talk about mixed martial arts, jiu-jitsu, and anything else we find interesting all while drinking whiskey. He's Jerry Armitrout. Hey. He's Cody Carter. What's going on? I'm Scott Barker. And tonight, Brother Jerry brought the bottle. Brother Jerry, what are we drinking today? Drinking 10 cup. It is American whiskey. It is 84 proof. It is bottled by 10 cup whiskey in Denver, Colorado by master distiller Jess Garber. It's a little, it's unique because apparently what they're doing is they're using, their whole claim is that they're using Rocky Mountain river water in the cutting process. So it's supposed to have a unique flavor. It's two great American whiskeys, each aged in number three charred oak barrels, high rye bourbon distilled with and aged in Indiana, is blended with a small amount of Colorado single malt whiskey. These whiskeys are then cut with Rocky Mountain water. Yeah, so the interesting, one of the interesting things about Tin Cup is, I don't know if you've noticed, but they had to change their marketing over the last couple of years because now it says American whiskey. Yeah. It used to be Colorado Mountain whiskey. Yeah. But it's, yeah, but. The, well, yeah, but, you know, because they use um, Indiana whiskey mm-hmm. and cut it with uh, Rocky Mountain water, they've had to change their, um, their advertising a little bit. So mm-hmm. that. Truth in advertising. A little truth in advertising, but. Uh, so you've never had this one before? Nope. Cool. All right. So it's one of those things where it's like, you know what? Let's do it. Little tin cup. Cheers, boys. Cheers, Cheers fellas. It's different. It's good. It's mellow. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's softer. It's an yeah, 84 it's proof. Taste. This is something. It, anything under 90 is something you you pour a glass of and just chill. This might be like a good introduction. Whiskey yeah. for somebody who's never really done it. You don't want to hit them with something too strong. Yeah, it, yeah. Sure. Anything under ninety proof is a good kind of training wheels whiskey. It's good. I like it. if if I'm going to smoke a cigar or if I'm going to do something where I'm going to be doing something else. Mm-hmm. I like anything under ninety because if you get you're trying to smoke a cigar and you got you know a hundred proof or better, you're yeah. you're not going to go but so long. <laughs> yeah. So good, good pick, uh, good pick, yeah, brother Jerry. I, I'm into it. I like this. Yeah, this yeah. is good. So and it comes with its own little, own little shot, shot glass. glass. Yeah, that's cool. That way you don't. That way, if you're up in the mountains mm-hmm. and you're sitting by the fire and you want to have a have a little drink, you don't have to redneck yeah. it and drink straight out of the bottle. They, they little, send their own nip. glassware. In the day of COVID, you just never know. Yeah, exactly. Ninety proof might not be enough to kill that shit. <laughs> um, so this week's episode, we talked about it two weeks ago. Um, this is our 2000, our year 2000 wrap-up show with the summary of the Dark Sider Challenge. And what the Dark Sider Challenge was, uh, was each of the team members here came up with a challenge for the rest of the group that, you know, if I came up with a challenge, I had to do it, Jerry had to do it, and Cody had to do it. And we all three came up with, um, came up with a different challenge. And the intent was... Through the holiday season, just to you know, 
be able to spend time with our families, but still challenge each other and try to continue our, our growth and, and our maturation process. Um, so we're going to go through what each of the challenges were, yep. what we all got out of it, and you know why the challenger picked what they did and, and what the challengees thought of it. So Jerry, why don't you go first? With what? Oh, what I challenge you with? Yeah, what did you challenge right. us with? Well, we've talked about it before, and anybody who follows us know uh, Scott was writing for Barbarian Rhetoric. We've had Nathan Steele Jennings on here before, uh, several times, and uh, I decided that we all been talking about writing more articles. So I decided to say, you know what? That's my challenge. We all needed to have an article ready to be read by the group by today. But we all finished it, and we all had it uh, edited. I've already submitted mine to Nathan. Uh, it will get published soon, which I'm happy about. But it was more of that, it's one thing to be mental, uh, to be physically stronger, because we all train together. But we also need to broaden our horizons, and to do the research and to put yourself on paper is a little, it's different. It's a different growth. Yeah, and one of the things that I found really interesting in this, this whole thing was, we all picked um, a mental endeavor, yeah. right? We all picked something that was not physical. Um, I, I totally imagined, Cody, that you were going to come up with, we're all going to do, you know, the huge kettlebell conference. I figured one of us was going to do something physical. You know, and the fascinating thing is none of us did. We all picked a mental... Well, we are, we're already doing the physical thing on our own. True. So to... I. I because that was never crossed my mind because at the end of the day, all three of us work out hard. We all do slightly different, but we're all doing our own thing and we're all posting together daily. Mm -hmm. Hey man, I did this today, I did that. And, you know, I work out my loincloth, you know, <laughs> my thing. Looking yoked. But, hey, just shirt cocking it. <laughs> but uh, I wanted to challenge, I want us to grow mentally because that's, that's, where a lot of people start to slack off is that we focus on, you know, our bodies or we focus on this, especially, you know, we're all husbands and stuff and you know, me and Cody are fathers and it's, it's a different, you should always make your mind better. My first instinct was to select a physical challenge. Okay. That, that was my first instinct, but because that's what I gravitate towards, right? So when you said, read a book. And you came Spoiler up. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Oh, no, sorry. Sorry. We are weary. No, we sorry. already It's good. Okay. Keep, keep going. going. So anyway. Keep going. It's funny. So Brother Scott and Brother Jerry, they dropped their challenges first. So when both of your yeah, challenges we did, were intellectually based, I felt, well, I feel like if I do the physical, I'm, I feel it would be like a little bit of a cop-out, you know, because that's my comfort zone. And I felt like y'all's challenges were pushing me outside of my comfort zone a little bit. So I felt I just didn't want to do something like typical, you know, like, yeah. you know, you really thought that's what I was going to do. So I thought, well, if they're going to do something, if you two had said physical challenges, boom, that's exactly what mine would have been. But I wanted it to be of like, you know, a similar vibe. Nice. Uh, so that was kind of why I went with what I went with. So you challenged yourself in coming up with the challenge. So yeah. you kind of kind of went double layer on us, yeah, which is really a cool. Bit. So quick, let's do a little quick spoiler alert. So let's give a little synopsis on what our articles are. Not give away the farm so that we, you know, we, we drag traffic away from yeah. Barbarian Rhetoric. But Jerry, t tell us a little bit about your article and what's coming up on Barbarian Rhetoric here soon. 
my article I, I wrote about becoming a father and that how I be, basically grew as a man even though I was in my 20s I'd already served in the Marine Corps uh, I you know was an adult I still actually don't think I became a man until my son was here and it still took a while but because of him I became a better person Aaron. Yeah, so my article is of a similar vein. It, it's about fatherhood. Uh, I took a little bit of a different approach, though, and I chose to address the issue of fatherhood. Yeah. And not just from a data standpoint. I included some data, but just the, the effects of fatherlessness and why it's so important to be a dad. I mean, it's like... Everybody knows that not having a dad is bad. It's like saying, well, COVID's bad. Okay, well, we, obviously, we know that, right? So we know what it's like, but what are the nuances? What are the benefits? You know, we, we have a tendency to focus on the negative, but what are some of the benefits, you know, the other side of having an active and engaged father? And just two folds with that. So make sure uh, you keep an eye out on Barbarian Rhetoric. Shout out to Barbarian Rhetoric yep. and Nathan. Keep yep. an eye out for these articles because they're coming soon. Yep. And once they go up, once Nathan gets them out, we'll um, we'll post those to the social media accounts, and uh, we'll mention it in the in the shows and on the show notes. Um, so my article I wrote on work life balance and why work life balance is kind of bullshit. Um, you know we. It, like I said, in, in every break room in America, there's something about work-life balance and call your company assistance you know, hotline if you're having trouble. And it's really kind of crap. Work-life balance is kind of junk because you're never going to spend a 30-year day working, a 30-year day at home, and then a 30-year day in bed. Yeah. Right. Work-life balance on a daily basis isn't possible. But the, the thing about it is figuring out um, that it is possible on a on a larger scale and that you have to make sure that you are balanced throughout a longer period of time but concentrating it on a day-to-day -day basis is just going to frustrate you so yeah. that was that was my article so those will be up here on barbarian rhetoric here pretty soon um but good good challenge jerry good challenge i agree so cody tell us about your challenge this one i found particularly interesting so my challenge was for us to do a Bible study together. I believe that we will, we've done two. We did two separate ones based on the timeline that we had. Mm -hmm. And because I think a lot of people have issue with religion and it's as a devout Christian, I have some issue with religion in itself, but I wanted to you know, let you guys, you guys know a lot about me already, but I kind of wanted you to get a little bit of an inside peek as to a little bit more about me and where my stance on certain things come from, because I don't consider myself a Bible thumper. I don't consider myself a, I'm holier than thou, better than you. You're less than me. I'm a, I'm a relationship person. I love developing relationships with people. And that's what I consider as having a relationship with God. And uh, we chose Bible study plans about being better husbands because I thought that that was something that we could all do together because it's something we can all relate to. And it kind of gave a little bit more of like a biblical philosophy, not from a dictatorship perspective, but more being like a servant king, like a king who serves his people and 
uh, I just thought it'd be something to do together because there was also a discussion at the end of every day and we got to give our perspectives and I thought that that was really cool to see how it landed with each of us similarly and differently. The discussion part was actually my favorite part of this particular challenge. Yeah. Um, I come from a, all the male children on my dad's side of the family were all Methodist ministers. Yeah. So I come from a long line of pastors. So the, the Bible, the non-believer, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, so I enjoyed the readings, um, but I really enjoyed the discussion part at the end because I really liked seeing each of our different perspectives on what we read. And the, the funny part is if, if you go back and you read, like if you do look at the, the 10 days that we did of both of the challenges and you read everybody's comments, you really get a serious like porthole into each of our thought processes and personalities. And they were very consistent. I thought that was very interesting. Jerry was taciturn as usual. He was shortened to the point. I probably, I ran the character count out a couple times and had to post twice or three times. Um, and, you know, I, I, but that was my favorite part. Um, some of the, how did you choose the, the, the lesson plans that you did? So the lesson plans that I chose were from a series of plans. Uh, I, I don't know if it's the same guy or if it's a group of guys, but it's Uncommon. So there are a group of plans that all fall in a similar wheelhouse, the style of writing, the perspective, and I have really enjoyed reading those lesson plans. Uh, caveat, I've already read the husband one. I had already done this Bible study, so I kind of knew. I did it again. I, I read it daily with you guys again, but I thought that it would be a great one to do. Uh, telling you this now after the challenge, but I read it every day. I reread it because I think you can always reread about being a better husband. But mm -hmm. I, again, I was looking for something that we could all relate to. I liked the perspective of that author, and I thought that it would land well with all of us respectively. So that was how I went about uh, choosing that one, and I knew there was a part one and a part two, which I knew would kind of fill in the timeline that we had we available had. for the challenge. And I, you know, it talks a lot about, you know, loving your wife like Christ loves the church. You know, I think a lot of Jesus's original ideas and intentions get diluted and warped a little bit because of human perspective. But if you look back at like Jesus's original words and some of the actions he took, like Jesus was a dude. Like he was not a passive yeah. man. He was, you know, the guy that when a woman's getting stoned will walk right in the middle of the circle, pick up a stone and said, go ahead, if you're without sin, pick it up and throw it. You know what I mean? He's putting himself in the fire. He's the guy that walks into the, uh, where the tax collectors are just treating people terribly and he's flipping tables and you know aggressively running them out you know what i mean mm -hmm. so like he was love and faith and forgiveness but he was also i feel like he embodied a lot of like what a man should be willing to be and i just i see a lot of that in you guys already you know what i mean and i just i thought it was something that would go over well i'll definitely flip a table over <laughs> <laughs> so have you seen the um have you seen some of the new trends in social media where um, some of it, and interestingly, some of it's coming from the Mormon side, but they're, 
they're starting to put a lot more interest in the art and the portrayal of Jesus as not more of a warrior god, but of, of a more masculine Jesus. In and, and there was a uh, there was a, a time in art where he was kind of where Jesus was portrayed as more of like a I don't want to say a Viking, but he's on horseback with the flaming sword and the yeah. you know, the, the the halo of, of God and whatnot. Have you seen that online? Mm-mm. I'll, no. I'll it, it, like I said, I'm seeing a lot of it in the Mormon communities and the D's Nats communities yeah um i'll i'll tag you on some of it so you can see it but yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of focus on trying to get away from the the shepherd christ to more of the like you said the muscular badass christ i I don't which is interesting well what i don't understand so i think as humans we all have to have a label we all have to fall into a category we have you know like the the tribe mentality and i think that that's where it comes from because that's where we come from but i think I don't, I don't know why, but I, I think, well, I guess I do have an idea. I think throughout history, Jesus has been trade, been portrayed in whatever way that fits the particular agenda at hand. You know what I mean? Sure. Like white Jesus. He's not here to speak like, for himself. Yeah, white Jesus, feminine, more soft-spoken Jesus, warrior, crusader Jesus, you know what I mean? But Jesus yeah. was a little bit of all of that. You know what I mean? Like he was a forgiving man. He he was soft. He took care of the children, but he would also step up and defend those who could not defend themselves. And for whatever reason, it's like, well, let's take this piece of him and push that. Let's take this piece of him and push that. But like that's not how humans operate. Like you know dogma. what I mean? You you have to yeah. you have to accept all of yourself. Like the movie Dogma where they had buddy Jesus. Yes. Yep. He's in there, you know, give me a thumbs up, and you know, it's all happy instead of being benevolent and punishing. He was, you know, he was buddy, buddy Jesus. Yeah, he, he he's, he's like my buddy. You know, yeah. he's your best friend. Yeah, he's not yeah. the punishing, all powerful. You're going to, you know, I'm going to uh, judge you on your actions. It was more of, hey, let's just do whatever, just to yeah. get asses and pews, man. Well, yeah, there and there's a whole discussion behind the feminization of the church yeah. and. You know, I know we've talked about it some. Yeah. There's a lot of discussion there about how Christ is portrayed in the modern church and how that it's Padre yeah. uh, Joseph. He's very. Um, we ought to have him on the podcast. That'd be That'd cool. Be fun. Yeah. Um, you know, but Padre's very. You know, he he likes to call himself a bad a bad Baptist. Yeah. Um, he's more of a. What do you call himself a, a Jurassic Christian or something to nice. that effect? Um, but yeah, there's there's a lot of discussion there, um, but I really enjoyed I enjoyed the topics. I thought the uh, the lesson plan choice was very good, and like I said, I enjoyed the discussion part at the end. Well, I really appreciate you know first and foremost, I just I really really appreciate the willingness that you all showed because I knew that that was going to be outside of y'all's comfort zone, especially and, mine. Yeah, and and I just appreciate like, hey, my brother's asking me to do this. You know what I mean? With the understanding that I was not asking for any type of conversion, nor was it expected, nor was it offered. You know what I mean? But this was literally like a, hey, we know a lot about each other, but here's a little bit more of a glimpse into like why I am who I am, and you know, I, yeah. I, I felt like this was a little bit of a learning process about each other as much as it was about ourselves. I think so. And uh, yeah. And I knew that there, like I said, I knew that there would be the discussions at the end, and I was really interested to see the takes because I believe to to better know yourself, you have to understand other, others, 
because your perspective on life comes from your history and your past. So it's like there's a saying that if you don't understand why someone thinks the way that they do, try to understand where they came from and what they've been through. And I've always been a huge believer of that. And uh, I thought this would be a good opportunity to exercise that. So, Jerry, from your standpoint, you know, you you like to say you're a heathen and cheers to heathens. Heathen. What what did you think of, of this particular challenge? You know, your your comments on the uh, on the discussion part afterwards, they were all really good. They were um, you know, I say taciturn, but Jerry's just a man of few words, but when he does speak there's a lot of content in those words. Um, so what was your what was your thought on the challenge? This particular challenge? <clears throat> well, I was honest with Cody when he when he brought it up that hey, this isn't my wheelhouse that um, I've got my issues with religion but i would give it a try because that's what this was about was challenging ourselves to something we're not comfortable with and i actually really enjoyed the lesson plans he picked even though it's a bible study and there is stuff about the bible and god and jesus it was also just more common sense it was well written i mean anybody even if you're an atheist would find help in these writings because it was just, you know, it's taking lessons from the past and how they affect how you act today and how you should care about your wife and your family and different things. And I really enjoyed them. I mean, it was, it was you know, I looked, I read it every day. Uh, sometimes I'd reread it. Uh, I liked the, the idea of whoever wrote it. It wasn't this bygone, you know, woman should place his quiet in the kitchen. It was, you know, you teach a woman, you know, your wife with respect. And, you know, you need to respect her before she, you know, to get her respect. And it was, I enjoyed it. I actually enjoyed it. I found towards the end, I was, you know, my comments changed a little bit. But, I mean, I, if you want to continue, I mean, I'm, I'm game to continue. That's awesome. Yeah. I'd be very happy to do that. Well, and we, we started a third one, yeah. right? Because you sent out the third one, and yeah. I've, I've actually selected a couple of. Le- I'm doing the dangerous. I saw that. I'm doing the dangerous prayers one. I thought that that was really cool when I saw that you had started one. I said, "Holy crap!" He just went off and picked one on his own. Yeah, I've, I've actually got like five saved. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was it was really good. Um, so Jerry, have you noticed that they? This is going to be a, a weird aside, but have you noticed that Amazon Prime put the last full season of Vikings on the 30th yep. of December. So you, the, the the last half season. I need to watch it. Oh god. I, I'm I about Vikings. halfway through Don't it. Don't spoil me. Don't spoil me. Well, they put they put the entire I need all last of season 3. I haven't seen Dude, we're on season 6. Yeah, this is Okay, it. wait. Okay, so the last thing that I saw was um which one is the son with uh Ivar the Legless. Oh, Ivar, Ivar the Boneless. So Ivar the Boneless escaped he tried to raid, he lost, and he escaped on that cart. And oh, so he hasn't even made it that's to the where roost I'm yet. At. Okay, so that's like that's like five. That's like okay, that's uh, where I'm at. That's that's the end of season four. Which I love Ivar, by okay. the way. So you got two more seasons to go. Okay. Yes. But they um what what happened was COVID happened, right? Yes, and they, they were doing the up. they were doing the split seasons where they did the first mm-hmm. half of the season and then they had the break in the second half. Yeah. They put because they got halfway through season six, which is the last season, and they stopped. 
and for whatever reason, they didn't put it back on history. They dropped the entirety was, yeah. of the last season on Amazon, Amazon Prime the 30th of December. Yeah, that's exciting. So, like, you can sit down and binge watch it. So, Wifey and I have been binge watching, like, three or four episodes a night. I love that show. It's a great show. Um, but um, there was a really interesting um, interaction between uh, Uber and the the Christian um, who the, the the Christian who was supposed to be guiding them beyond yeah. Iceland, right to the the Golden Land, <clears throat> and there was a very interesting interaction between those two and. The, the, the Christian, I don't remember the, the guy's name, but he was saying, you know, how is it that we, that you trust me? And Hubert said, your Jesus prays to the Father God. The Father God, the All-Father is Odin. is Odin. And the All-Father <clears throat> and the, the, the greater God, they're all one God. Yeah. So basically he's saying, the Christian God, Hubert is saying, the Christian God, Odin, mm-hmm. right, Muhammad, whatever. Well, Muhammad yeah. was prophet, but all the great um, gods—they're all one God. Yeah, Allah. Thank you. Yeah. They're all one God. Yeah. Because you think about it, you got a point. Because think about it, every religion and every culture had a one God, the Great Spirit, who yes. ruled everybody. You, you know, for Native Americans, you had every culture had a one singular God. And you know, you may have whether it's you know, Zeus or yeah, whether or. You, uh, Vish, uh, Vishnu yeah, or yeah, there's always the one who controlled it mm-hmm. and all their interpretations are it's weird but they're all similar mm-hmm. you know all knowing all powerful very vengeful yeah <clears throat> and, th- and there's always one yep right one. so if you look at it who and, was the Egyptians one did they was it the Osiris. Osiris he was the be all he was, all. He was yeah. the yeah he was basically the king of the gods gotcha um, he was the he was the father of all gods yeah yep from his loins sprang right. the Nile. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Um, yeah, and then, took a piss. And that's nice. well, it wasn't a piss, but... I'm skated. just saying, man. He skated. <laughs> oh, skeet, skeet. Oh, skeet, skeet. Oh, anyway, um, so... But yeah, so if you think about it, and I, we're going down a woo-hole here, but I like the woo-hole, um, as we discussed. But yeah, so if you look at it, right, you've got the one God mm-hmm. in all the pantheon. And if there's a pantheon underneath them, what could those pantheons be? They could be angels. Yeah. Right, so you've got Zeus, and then you've got Hera and Aphrodite and mm-hmm. Hephaestus, and you know all those. Maybe those are angels, right? And the Christian, it, it, you know, if Michael you look at, and, yeah, yeah. Saint Michael, who's a weird god, who's a lot like Mars. Yeah, well, know. and they've they've all also got stories of those subsidiaries, the angels, or whatever it may be, having. Human offspring, whether it be the Nephilim or the demigods, or yeah. the Asir or the there's, there's some or, really, but you got it. See, there's a like, lot of overlap. See, I've read, I've read some old old stuff. I mean, like the ancient Hebrew Bible. Lilith, Lilith was the first woman, not Eve. Yes, Lilith was actually first. Yeah, because she, she was, was driven equal, to the land of Nod, but she was equal in, in uh, to Adam, and she was outspoken, and she becomes the first demon, I guess. Because she kills her own children to get eternal life and power. But, I mean, that's the interesting, because then, you know, the newer Bibles, they leave her totally out. They just Adam and Eve. 
It's like, well, you know, there was a little back backstory before that if you really get into it. There's a lot of books about hell that are left out of the modern Bible. Oh, yeah. Oh, well. the, well, see, the, the, Apocrypha, the Apocrypha is some of the most interesting bits yeah, of I mean, but again, they, Christian history. They made it friendly. Christian history. Yeah, but, they fr made it friendly. Yeah. I well, mean, and the, the dates have changed and co-opting. I mean, I, I like, you know, we're talking about Vikings. I love The Last Kingdom. I've read all, all Bernard Cornwall's books. And I love watching the show because it's the interaction where the Christian faith is starting to take over in Europe. And you still have the, uh, the Vikings, the Danes, and the Norse, all of them are still are caught between being Christian or being with the old gods. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just like the old Druids, you know, they were being wiped out by the Romans because they wasn't, you know, they were still believing in the old faith. They found, with the bald man, they found mm -hmm. one of the oldest... They now found the oldest written word in Europe is older than the Dead Sea Scrolls. So there was written word about religion before the Dead Sea Scrolls. Wow. Well, and if you... My train of thought just left me. Anyway, it's all right. that happens sometimes. Um, well, if you look at... Um, God damn, I'm going to get this back here in a minute. Sorry. We'll, we'll, I'll pick this up later. But needless to say... This was a great challenge, Cody. Mm -hmm. Thank and you. I really enjoyed it, and yeah. I think we're going to continue. I'm going to continue it just yeah. from a standpoint of I, I, I find app. it interesting. Yeah, I didn't get rid of it. Well, I enjoyed doing them together too. So I mean, we can That's, take we can take turns picking plans. You know, what I mean, as far as I'm concerned, because it's just one more way that we get to spend time together. Well, so I wonder if there's an app about like doing Havamal studies. Probably. If not, we just get the book and we can just do a, a, a sit down and talk about it. We can read a chapter and talk about it. Yeah. This, so that would be that would be interesting. So um, I think it would be fun again to and we've talked about like other books to read. I think the Havama would be fun. Well, for I've already committed that I would do it because he, brother Jerry, agreed and he agreed to step outside of his comfort zone. So I agreed. Like, hey, it's always about. How much education can you have? You know, how, how yeah. can you educate yourself and what can you learn? So, I don't know what it is, uh, but it's the Norse, especially it's the Norse Bible. Yeah. Oh, okay. It, it, it's the That's poetic. Cool. It's the poetic Eda. Basically, the Havamal is the writings of Odin. Basically, basically. I'm all about that then. Um, the quote on the you know that brutal company rash guard I've got where yeah. it talks about. I hang myself from the tree. I sacrifice myself to myself. Yeah. That's a quote from the Havamal. That yeah. reminds me of the scene where Ragnar Lothbrok uh, basically surrendered himself. He acted like he didn't to, know to, what he was doing. To King Ayla. Yeah. And he was put in that cage and stabbed. And I sacrificed myself to myself. Like that, he returned yeah. after that huge hiatus, goes over there. And that, that's really what that reminded me of. Well, and the, there's. Again, there's so many mirrors, right? You've got when um, Odin hung himself from Yudrasil, Yudrasil, the, the world tree, right? He hung himself from the world tree in order to learn how to read the runes yep. and learn the magic. Learn, and, and that's the interesting thing is he, didn't, he wasn't just learning how to read a specific set of symbols mm -hmm. he was learning to read because back then reading was magic hmm. so not only yeah, yeah i mean think about the movie you ever seen 13th warrior yes mm -mm. All right, 13th oh my warrior. god that's a great 13th warrior you have a, a muslim warrior 
he's been ex- exiled, banished because for of sleeping, for sleeping Sultan's with wife. Sultan's, Sultan's one of his wives. Okay. But he's sent to spend time with Vikings. And he can write, and they can't. And he's writing stuff in the sand. And one of the best scenes at the end is when the king... Bulvai. Uh, he literally says, will you write on my grave? And he said, I'll be honored. Because will, it's power. In writing. Will you draw, will will you draw, draw the story of my, my life? life? Wow. Okay. I'll have to, uh, I'll it's, have to it's watch It's a great book. It's actually written by Michael Crichton. It's by it's Michael Crichton. Like, it's, yeah. It's a great... The Eaters great, of the Dead. The Eaters of the Dead is the name of the book. Okay. But the movie's the 13th Warrior because he was the 13th Warrior. Because he was just there to observe. What is he for a crusade? Isn't, um, He's a, he was a poet. Oh, what's his name? Orlando Bloom. Bloom. Oh, oh it, that was... The um, Kingdom. That was the... Yeah. The, the Kingdom. That, yeah. No, that's the Kingdom. That's that's when the English... That, that that's the, the Crusades. Crusades. This is just... Uh, you got people. A lot of people might not even know that the Vi- that Vikings made it all the way to the Muslim world. Oh yeah, they, they made it everywhere. I mean, they interacted back and forth. So the eaters, of, the eaters, eaters of, of the, the dead, dead was a basically it was a retelling of, of the Beowulf. Yeah, of Beowulf. Because, um, yeah, the, the 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 bear people were yeah. the re they were the reincarnation of Grendel. Yep, and. The, the the mother was basically the recreation of she never really had a name yeah. in Beowulf, but it was the mother creature. Yeah. Jeez. John DeSantis, Canadian actor, he plays Ragnar. Dude is six nine. In the thirteenth warrior I was looking oh, at the cast. Yeah. Dude is a No, yeah. that's something. No, the thirteenth warrior cast, John Oh yeah, so John he's a big tall DeSantis. Yeah. DeSantis am I saying that right? Yeah. Yeah. One of the best battles. Yeah, he's six nine. Oh, he plays the he plays the big guy yeah. that um, Lothar the Happy he kills in the no, shield he, battle. He plays Ragnar in that movie. Yeah, yeah but, but that's not the same. That's not a, the, the Ragnar. That's Ragnar the Dower. Yeah, he's he he beats him okay. one on gotcha. one. Yeah, he beats him. He starts throw, They start throwing. He, it's a challenge because the Vikings are sent to a village to help, and this group is it's a war band, and they're sent up up river, and. They go to this village and they're kind of the uh, Earl's son is looking at them with distrust. So the Earl's cha- the Earl's son's champion is that character Ragnar. He's a big dude, and yeah. they're building fortifications to defend the village. And they send their guy over to basically pick a fight. Pick a fight, yeah, gotcha. And so they send the smallest guy to challenge the biggest guy. Sounds very much like David Goliath. Well, the, the fighting's better. But I tell you what, was trying for, to quiet. I tell you what, for the fight at the end, it's one of the best final fight scenes, especially yeah. the king, when he sits on the throne afterwards in the rain, the way he just the sword in the ground. You gotta see it. Oh, it's, a, it's a great. It is ama- The book is good because I like reading. Well, I also but saw Antonio Banderas. Banderas. Yes. Yeah. He's the Muslim. He's and he's I a love poet. Antonio Banderas. Dude, he's a poet. It's funny because he's carrying. They give him a big ass hand and a half sword, and he can't wield it. And they're making fun of him because he he cuts it down. He grinds it into a scimitar. So he can. The guy's like, "When you die, can I give it to my daughter?" And okay. he learns their language by listening to him every night at the fire. And he finally learns their language. They make him fun because they're all wearing riding big destry of war horses. And he's, he's got an Arabian. Arabian. So mm-hmm. he jumps them. He's just he finally gets tired of their shit and he jumps over them. 
He jumps over their horse and rider with his. They, wow. they they start barking. They start barking at his horse. Yeah. Because they think it's the size of a dog. Because compared to theirs, he's a, it's a little rage. Yeah. And he just so shows. he get and then, of course that's yeah. my wife's favorite yeah. part. But yeah, he he takes this pure white Arabian yeah. and rides it all around and jumps over all their horses, all of them, all the fortifications, yeah. and they're all like. Yeah, it's still, he's still little. Yeah. Right? That's basically how it I'm ends. Still give you You're sword. still a loser. When you die, when you die, I'm gonna give your sword to my daughter. I mean, that was the whole thing. And but he, but he wasn't a warrior himself. He was a poet. Gotcha. And he was being punished. And but the story itself is just—it's amazing because it's all this intermingling of religions. Yeah. Because you have the old ways, you know, with dirt, and then you have the Muslim, you know, and he's praying. And he's talking about Allah with them. And it's really cool. And that they, they go back and forth and they're drawing symbols. The ruins and what Allah is. And it's really, really cool because they're sitting there drawing in the dirt. Yeah. And there's it's it's a like I said, it's it's almost like your challenge, you know. I my belief system's a little different from yours, but it doesn't mean I don't want to learn. Yeah. And I'm not open to learn. I'm not you know, because 'cause I'm all, I'm always open to grow. Mm-hmm. Well, and the, and the funny thing is, I use the term funny thing, but the interesting thing is, you say that your belief structure is different from ours, or from Cody's and mine. But the, but the way, only only in the way it's perceived. Yeah, I believe that's, I'm that's very, the interesting thing. Yeah, because we, people, yeah, per- yeah. perception. Well, it, we, we all have the same core But a lot values. of people, if you see, yeah, I, I, I value things very, very We've talked about this before. I'm willing to die for certain things. I'm willing to kill for certain things. And a lot of people that I try to explain things to, they don't quite grasp it. You know, I was married before. My first wife, her grandfather was a pastor. And I used to wear, you know, Otis Cross. You know, and mm-hmm. they thought it was a, a Satanist thing because it's an, it's, it's, well, because it's an upside down. But it's Odin's cross. It's his symbol. And it's no—it's not supposed to be disrespectful. It's just you know—it's the way it's a wolf's head, and then a cross. And it's just like trying to explain to them though. This is you know Odin, you know God. You know, he's warrior king. I was a marine. I mean infantry. You know I was willing to die. You know so you you get these weird belief systems, and people want to look down their nose at you. You know well this is you know. God is the only God. It's like, well, there's a couple million, you know, there's a whole lot of people out there that tell you that God is Allah. I mean, you know, who's right? One of the best things I've ever seen was this philosophy professor. He used to ask people, you know, which will, you know, which will get will grow faster, heaven or hell? And uh, he was talking about everybody just giving kind of a benign reply. But one was like, well, hell will, because basically... Everybody's like all, all, well. No, all faiths say if you don't believe in my faith, you're going to yeah. hell. And not everybody believes in all faith, so everybody basically is going to go to hell. Because if you're not a Muslim, you're going to hell. If you're not a Christian, you're going to hell. If you're not a Baptist, you're going to hell. If you're not this, you're going to hell. So everybody's going to hell because we don't all believe in mm-hmm. this, 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 or this. And like we said, you know, all religions share a simple start. I mean, the Muslim faith started out from Israel, you know, and Israel. Israel actually translates to basically arguing with God. I struggle with God. Yeah. Yeah. It's basically arguing with God. I mean, that's the whole name is because they are always just bugging the shit out of me. And that's why it's Israel. It's, you know, basically, you know, he's getting tired. He's the, they're the stepchild. They won't shut the fuck up. <laughs> you know. 
Oh, God. Anyway. I'm just saying. No. Good. No offense meant, but I mean, that's what it, it comes down to. It's just like, yeah. I've always got to step in and do something. You know, that's why it's called Israel. Just like Iran actually means Aaron. Well, yeah, there. Which the, is the whole history itself. of that, that going back to the Third Reich, yeah. is a whole nother story. But people don't don't even understand that. It's hilarious when people talk about Iran being this great thing. It's like Iran actually means Aryan. Yeah, they changed their name. It means white motherfucker. Yeah, it's actually Aryan. It's you know an ode to Hitler because <laughs> they were Persia, dumbass. Yeah, before that they were Mesopotamian. Mm-hmm. Um, I had that, a. Uh, it was a hot fucking sweaty place. Yeah. I, I knew a, uh, I had, I, I knew an engineer at one of my customers, and he was a Christian from Iran, and we were talking, we were talking with each other, and he said something about you know going to church and being from Iran. I looked at him and said, "Are you?" Because the the the, the differentiator, and this is a grand, this is a great simplification. But if you're Muslim, you're from Iran. If you're Christian, you're Persian. That's like I said, it's a grand simplification, but he was talking about, you know, being from Iran and, and being a Christian. I, I, I asked him, I said, are you, are you Persian? And he said, yes, I'm Persian. And he was like, oh, somebody gets it, hmm. which is kind of funny, but. Interesting. Yeah, so. I'm going to have to look into that. Just look into the tie between modern day Iran and the Third Reich. And, and Hitler, it'll blow your mind. Yeah, okay. And and this is not like conspiracy. No, this there, is there, there's a Russian, or I'm sorry, there, there's a Nazi base on the moon, yeah. and we're going to be invaded by moon Nazis. It's, it's not, not that. that. This, this is, is real. It's can. real history. Because Hitler had the Germans were in over there way before the Third War, the Second World War ever started. Even before the Third Reich was becoming what they were, they were already already had colonies to begin with. Mm-hmm. And then Hitler becomes the leader and they start pushing for these, you know, uh, because a lot of them goes back to they wanted to find the Ark of the Covenant. He wanted mm-hmm. to find all this because it was supposed to be div- divine power. And if he could find it, it proved that he was the divine leader. Right. So that's why they started making all these deals in Iran and stuff and in parts of Africa because they were looking for it because they believed... There's still a strong held belief that a lot of the stuff left uh, Europe after the Crusades. Uh, they took it back to England, and then they took it from England to Africa. The hide, you know, the chalice, and all that stuff. And they're still today looking for it. They believe it went to Africa. It's probably hiding somewhere with the Billy Apes. <laughs> well, they they. they like, where can we make sure this doesn't get found? Exactly. Oh, with a bunch of six foot apes. Have you seen those? Yes, the Billy Apes. Yeah, they're they're. They, yeah, they, they're, they truly believe mm, that's a woo hole, but I'm just yeah. saying. No, that's like astro hominid. Or, like if you want to scare the Australia hominid shit. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, I mean we could get into all kinds of that. Like, yeah. We're gonna have to do like a conspiracy farm. Oh, that would be so Let's do a conspiracy favorite conspiracy farm. theory. Okay. Yeah. Write that, that write that yeah. down in the idea yeah. notebook. We we yeah. each come to the table, and that we might have to do like a, a series, yeah, three part thing because we could. I most likely yeah. on yeah. one theory we could. That's a great idea. Okay, yeah, yeah we're gonna do a conspiracy okay. farm theory. Yeah. Um, all right, so we've been running for a little bit, so we're gonna take a break real quick, hear from our sponsor, and we'll be back in just a minute. So be right back. Yep. And we're back. Okay, so uh, last challenge of the Dark Siders challenge. I challenged myself, Cody, and Jerry to start and finish a book in roughly two weeks' time. Yep. 
Yeah, and, not not like we not don't all have jobs and families and commitments. Hey, let's read a book. Did I put a page limit on it? I said it could be a hundred pages. It yeah. could be as long as you started it and finished it. I didn't obey that rule. I did triple that. Yeah, I know you did. Um, but I, I didn't want to read the book anymore. Oh, I went right there at the page limit. I'm well, you got to I won't hold it against you, man. You got a brand new baby boy, dude. I mean, come on, man. You yeah. out of all of us, you got a you got two young girls and a brand new baby boy. Yeah, and so, you put the work in, and, and yeah, you, you read the, the book. In. And it, anybody needs to see some pretty awesome pictures. They need to follow Mr. Cody Carter yeah, and see him reading his book to his son, Roman. And that starts a whole other discussion that we'll get into probably later on another podcast. Yeah. But the inspiration, brother. Oh, my God. I mean, that's it's generational changes. Yeah. It's generational we've, changes. We've, we've mentioned it before. Cody's mentioned it before. You, you're the one to break the cycle. Yep. I always remember, you can break a cycle. Absolutely. Yep. So the reason that I picked this is, one, I wanted to do some reading over the holiday. I haven't been doing as much reading as I would like to. I find that the more time I spend on social media, the harder time I have reading. Yeah. So hmm. I wanted to purposefully pull away. I, pull away from social media. I had uninstalled all the apps from my phone like in eh, middle of November um, because I wanted to get away from social media for a little bit. I'm still doing you know what I what I need to do to promote the podcast and whatnot, but I, I pulled back a little bit um, because the more time I spend on social media, I find the harder it is to read. See, I read for pleasure. Mostly when I read, I read fiction. I read, you know, I have a hard job, work 65, 70 hours a week, and, you know, and I read, if I read it's for pleasure, and I read fiction, a lot of fiction, a lot of, you know, dark fiction is what I like because it's an escape. But this challenge, I really, there's books I've been wanting to read, and this was just like, you know what, I sat there and I rolled through and I actually found a whole list of books now from this challenge. I'm like, man, I want to read this book. And then I found like, wait, wait, wait a minute, this book looks cool too. <laughs> Good. Oh, God damn, this book is awesome too. Well, I'm gonna fit, let me start this book and then I'll go back to them books. So that's good. So one of the reasons I picked it, it, I wanted to do this, and part of it is directly targeted at you, Mr. Cody Carter, wow. was, no, we, we've talked about this, that I have ADHD, you have ADHD, and yeah. one of the things- I don't like people. Yeah, you, you're a misanthropist. <laughs> we know that. Um, we have ADHD. I just hate everybody. Yeah, you just hate everybody. Um, one of the things that we've talked about is that you struggle reading. Yes. So one of the things that I wanted to do with this challenge was I truly believe that I truly believe that reading is a it's, it's a muscle that you have to exercise. Yep. And getting back into this challenge and setting down with the intent of reading a book in two weeks and setting a goal of reading a book in two weeks is I would get to a point where I would start to read and I would start to flag. Kind of when you run a marathon, right? You hit that wall. Once you get past the wall, yeah. you get your second wind. You know, I would get you know, 15 pages in, I get a little drowsy. It's like, no, I'd keep going a little bit more. And then I'd hit that second wind and yeah. I'd read another 20 pages and have good retention. Yeah, yeah. So one of the things I wanted to do was push 
you and myself to get back into the habit of reading. Well, it's fun. It's funny because I remember asking, like, "Hey, can I, uh, like, can I listen to this? Yeah. Can and, I listen to it on Audible?" And I specifically said no. Yeah, yeah, you're like, no. You can read it on your phone, or you can read the book. But the purpose is to get eyes on work. Like, yep. Yep. Okay. Yes. Roger that. And <laughs> and I've got an Audible account, and I listen to a lot of books on yeah. Audible. I generally use. I use Audible as kind of a pre-screening method for books because yeah. I'll listen to something and if I think it's worthwhile, then I'll go read the book. Yeah. If I don't think it's worthwhile, I, you know, well, I, I've wasted some time in the car and that's it. And I'm really glad you pushed me to that because that led me to reading to my son. Yep. And reading to my son, even though you know he's two months old, like caveat, he's two months old and I'm reading in the Book of Five Rings. It but doesn't the, matter. But I'm reading to him. We're spending time together. He's hearing <laughs> my voice. And that led me to researching the benefits of reading to a child, which yeah. led to more influence in my article. But what happened was, is it it led me to break it down because I believe, like you said, it's a it's a muscle you've got to exercise. So what I did was I looked at the amount of pages the book had. I said, okay, here's my timeline. Let's break this down. How many pages do I need to read a day in order to get this done? So then I was able to set a, a daily goal. Okay, if I read this many pages, and then there was one day the day I got sick. I didn't read to him because I was sick. I was so disappointed in myself for not reading to him because it was almost like even though he didn't know I didn't read to him, now you I've knew got you didn't read. To I him. knew I didn't read to him, and so I was so disappointed in myself because I felt like I was breaking. Even though I hadn't made a commitment to read to him daily, it's like once you put it out there in the yeah. universe and people think you're doing it, like me, I can't. I don't. I can't just like let people think I'm doing something. I have to do it. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I gotta know. Sure, yeah, like. What happens, you know, you can only fake something but for so long before people catch on. You know what I'm saying? Like, you, yeah. can, you can only pretend, and I don't want to be a pretender. You know, it's like when I didn't read to him, I was very disappointed in myself. So, like, when I caught up on what I'd missed, I read extra to him. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, like, yeah. it became every time I read this book, I read it to him. And you might might be surprised what he's retaining his little mind. He's going to come out being our little... Our, our little dark, dark sider. Yeah, he's going to pop out at five years old and he's going to be quoting Musashi the first time he walks in here. He's going to be like, he's going to walk on just like, if you know the way in one thing, you'll know the way in all things. We're all going to be like, there he is. There and he it's is. funny, my dad, he used to read to me all the time when I was a kid. Uh, and he, he told me, he was like, Cody, when I read books to you, I read the Saggy Baggy Elephant. Yeah. <laughs> and you're over here reading the Book of Five Rings to your kid. like, But he would read that book to me so I remember when I was a little, he read it to me so many times, I didn't even know how to read. But I had listened to it so many times based on what he, page he was on, I could recite it word for word just because I had memorized it. You know what I'm saying? So like when I first started reading this, I didn't, I didn't say to myself, okay, I'm going to read this and read it to my son every day. It just so happened that the first day I read it, I was feeding Roman. It was just I was sitting there, and I thought, okay, well, while I'm sitting here feeding him, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read. Second day, same thing. Okay, I'm sitting here feeding him, not doing anything else. I'm going to read to him. And then after that, it was, well, man, I've started this. You know what I mean? Like I'm two days into you know, to reading it. I might as well read him the rest of it. And it just it became this thing that he and I did together, and it was really cool. Well, one of the, the biggest, and I mentioned this on one of your social media posts, one of the biggest memories I have is my dad reading to me. Mm -hmm. And he never, like my mom would read kids' books to me. 
Right. She would read Pedro, the brave airplane that flew over the mountain or, you know. The little engine that could. The little engine that could or whatever. But my dad would read to me whatever he was reading. Right. So he was reading The Hobbit. He was reading the book, you know, The, the Fellowship of the Rings, Starman's Son. That was what he was reading to me. And when I went to first grade and they were like, bring a book to school. I could read The Hobbit in first grade. So I was bringing The Hobbit in first grade and reading it. My teacher's like, all right, are you just looking at the pages? And I'm like, no, this is the part where Bilbo gets in the riddle war with Gollum. And, you know, I really think that reading to your kids, even at that fundamental age that Roman's at, I, I think it has a direct effect on their love and their ability to read later in life. I agree. I agree with that. And, you know, you mentioned elementary school books. It was funny. They gave us... Uh, they gave us a book, and I didn't really remember this. I was so young, but my dad remembers. I guess the teacher told him or something. They handed out books to us when we were little to take home to give to our dads, like about being better fathers, being being a good dad, being a good parent, so on and so forth. And and the teacher told my dad that I gave the book back to them and said, my dad already knows how to be a good dad. He doesn't need this book. And I, and I, and I gave it back to him, and, and I wouldn't take it home. That's funny. All right, so Jerry, what book did you pick? And Okay, so I went a little, you know, we all had our, our different books. I had to, like I said, I went through a bunch of different ideas, but I settled on Dan Crenshaw, who is a second term, just won his second term as congressman out of Texas. Uh, his book, Fortitude, American Resilience and the Era of Outrage. Basically, like they describe it, it's Jordan Peterson's 12 Rules for Life meets Jocko Wilnick and Leif Bamman's uh, Babin's extreme ownership. Oh, extreme ownership. Okay, I got to read that based on that description alone. Exactly. What's the name of the book? Fortitude. Fortitude. Okay. And basically, the book is he talks a little bit about his days as a Navy SEAL, but only to the point of what if it's um, has effect on what he's talking about. Basically, the short memory from ten years ago today. Hell yeah! Sorry. The short end of it is the fact that. Uh, if you're allowing other people to trigger you with words, then you're weak. Uh, it's about being stoic, about having, not letting other people affect you, about pushing forward. Uh, it's a great book about, you know, he put he doesn't just talk about problems, he talks about solutions to the problems. He talks about being stoic, about the ancient philosophers and the idea of being, you know, being stoic is something that goes all the way back to Socrates and those guys, Nero and all them. You know, he talks about, you know, how, you know, the Bible and God influences stuff and how our society and our rule of law is based on uh, Judeo-Christian beliefs. That Moses is the only uh, uh, relief in the, in the halls of Congress where he's actually facing forward and the relief is right behind the Speaker of the House. Mm-hmm. Because that's what we believe in. It's, uh, I mean, he talks a lot. He, he quotes a lot of other books. It's basically about people being weaker and uh, participation, trophy society and stuff, you know, and that you really don't have, you know, that our society is the most advanced, the most wealthy, and the most easy that we've ever seen. And people are finding things to complain about. I mean, the, he, uh, as a Navy SEAL deployed, his, their interpreter stepped on an IED that blinded him. 
So he's like, I have every reason to be a victim, but I chose not to be. And that's what it comes. And he also talks a lot about there's no plan B. There's only plan A. If you allow yourself to have a plan B, you will never ever complete plan A, because you have a default. Mm. He's like when he, be, you know, when he was a seal, he broke his leg the first time, so they had recycled him. He broke it. It broke halfway through Hell Week, so he had oh, to. God, so he had to take the time off to heal and then go right back through because he didn't make it through Hell Week. He had to start from day one. Hell Week is there is kind of like the, that's the culmination. Yes, the stage the point. If you make it through Hell Week, you start after Hell Week no. with the training. No, if if you, no, no. If you make it through Hell Week and you get injured after Hell Week, you start after because no, David Goggins made it through Hell Week, and it was during Buds that he got recycled. All just Buds, yeah, right? Yeah. But even Hell Week though, he made it through Hell Week, and you at post Hell Week, but you don't have to go through Hell Week. Again. He said he went through three of them. He went through three. Uh, cycles. He didn't go through three hell weeks. He sure. One. Yeah, he only went through one. Okay. I'm listening if, to it now, so I'll judge on this when I get far, back. As far as I know, if you make it through hell week, you only have to do hell week once. Okay. Because that's the like he said, it's the safe point in a vid, like a video game. Well, is it also to up the, to the instructor? No, it's up to the command. Okay. If you make it through hell week, you're good to go. Hell week, all hell week is just brutality. Just, I was almost, I'm almost positive, and I, I've been wrong many times, but I've listened to that I book thought several times. I went through three cycles, but only did one hell week. See, he I thought his it. three cycles included three hell weeks. Like, like I said, I've, I've got to drive yeah, down we'll to Alabama stand. Yeah, 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 listen let me know. I'll listen and let everybody is, know. I mean, this is what Crenshaw, you know, he broke his, he broke his left, he broke his leg, so he got recycled and he went back. He did it again. Then he gets deployed, you know, several, several deployments, and... You know, in 2020, the one he gets injured on, they're literally wearing T-shirts. They had made a bunch of T-shirts for the platoon that said, "Don't lose your leg in Afghanistan, 2012." Oh wow! Oh. And their interpreter, because it's dark humor, and the interpreter steps on an IED and it kills the interpreter, and it blinds Crenshaw, and he fights to get back. You know. To the teams, and he goes back and actually serves for two more years before they finally push him out. And he, you know, goes gets his masters, you know, because he was an officer in the, in, in the seals. Uh, and then he, on a whim, literally, decide uh, a mentor of his says, you know, his district's congressman was retiring. They're like, why don't you run? And he literally just threw his hat into the primary, made it to a runoff, and then won the runoff. Well, how no long? money. No, nobody knew who he was, and won. And it's just, it's his. I mean, he talks just about being stronger personally, not letting other people bother you, and that you literally are out here trying to find a problem. It just shows the, your weakness, because he talks a lot about history. Talks about there uh, a Mexican American in the 1900s who lived in South Texas. He was a school teacher. And this was right after the Mexican-American War, and the Texas Rangers were taking vengeance for all the blood, you yeah, know, bloody days. No, against Pancho the Comanches. Villa. The Comanches. No, no, this was against Pancho Villa. You sure? Yes. I really thought that the Rangers were uh, brought together to take out the Comanches. Dude, the Rangers actually were a Confederate unit that fought the Union. That's what the Rangers were, and they just continued on with them. Hmm. To, to nowadays, we still have the Texas Rangers. Yeah, the Rangers were used for everything. They were also used to fight the, the border war against. Or maybe there was a unit of the Rangers created 
to because I'm I have another book that I've been reading um, about the Comanches. No, the Rangers fought the Indians. Yeah, they were basically like uh, Texas's reserves. They were their their state militia, but they were also when Pancho Villa started. You know, the whole war, Mexican-American war in the 1900s was against Pancho Villa and his bandits. So it was basically a border war. And the Rangers did a lot of the fighting. Well, because a lot of the atrocities committed on the border towns by Pancho Villa and his men, the Texas Rangers were still paying it back. So every once in a while, they would hang people. And so the school teacher was a Mexican-American. He gets drafted in 1917 to go fight in World War I. And instead of being, woe is me, I'm a victim, he said, I'm going to fight in the war. He closed the schoolhouse he was teaching at, put a note on the door saying, I'm going to the war. I may or may, I may not make it back, but I am going to follow in the footsteps of George Washington and his men, and knowing my path won't be as brutal as theirs was. But, you know, the idea of that not only was there issues back then, he didn't take the victim role. He actually went and fought for our country came back and actually was one of the founders of uh, a Mexican-American Civil Liberties Group that basically was, a hey, we're still Americans. Kind of give us that whole thing. And, you know, give us the same treatment. And he's, you know, like Martin Luther King Jr., same thing. You know, I don't want to be separate. I don't want to be a victim. I just want to be equal. You know, treat me the same as you would anybody else. And he talks a lot about that, the whole, you know, treating each other right because he calls out people for you know being douchebags you know both the right and the left you know republican democrat because he makes a his arguments are amazing because he talks about <clears throat> that there's liberals who are you know the victim mentality because it's easiest way to get people to vote for you hey you're a victim if you vote for me i'll give you power over that group but he's like there's actually republicans that do the same thing if you're like me, I'll get your power. He's like, so, you know, this not as widespread, but you still see it. You know, woe is me. It's a that different it, approach. That it's, illegal it's, immigrant took my job. Woe is me. This person took my job. Woe is me. I can't do this because of that. He's like, there is no, none of that. Get your at, do something. Have a plan. Yeah, sometimes things don't work. And there is some, there is oppression in the world. You know, we've had our bad times. But we should always talk about what America is good for. And, I mean, it was a great book. It made me think a lot. I mean, Crenshaw, I mean, well, even him. Uh, most, most people, if any of you know who Crenshaw is, it's probably only because of Saturday Night Live. Yeah. He was running for, he was, uh, his first term, he was running. Uh, and Saturday Night Live, uh, their Saturday, you know, their uh, weekend report, which is their satire news thing. They were doing it right. It was right before the election, and they were running through uh, Republicans, and they were making fun of them. Pete Davidson made fun of Dan Crenshaw and said because he he wears an iPad, said that he looks like a hitman from a porno. So, and that and, uh, the guy that was on yeah. the, on the stage Classy. with him was like, wow. dude. He was like, yeah, well, he lost his eye in war or whatever. Whatever. So Crenshaw didn't take it as didn't take it as an insult. He didn't get old, you know, victimhood. Didn't call for him to be fired. Didn't get offended. But a lot of people did. It well, wasn't. Like, but I hope you got that same energy when you see me. It was well, but see this, you know, the comeback was great. So uh, Crenshaw, I don't watch. He's like, I don't watch Saturday Night Live, so I didn't even know about it. I didn't find out. People started uh, texting me Sunday morning. I was getting ready for church, 
and people started texting him, and a lot of SEALs were like, man, you know, they thought it was funny that the whole, you know, hitman from a porno thing. SEALs would. And, yeah. But they were offended because no one can make fun of you but us. Exactly. And they, a lot of people didn't like the fact that it was like, well, war or whatever, you know. So, but he was just going to let it slide. Uh, but Lauren Michaels, who runs Saturday Night Live, sent him an invitation to come on. He said, would you like to come on? And we'll apologize. And he said, no. He said, next weekend is Veterans Day weekend. I have other things to do. I'm not coming on the show. I don't care. And Lauren Michaels called him back and said, I tell you what, you can say whatever you want for Veterans Day. You can, you can make a speech. We will not restrict anything you say, but you know we would really like you to come here. We'll pay for it. You and your wife, come up here. So he flew up and... Uh, they went over the jokes they were going to do and all this. And he actually had probably the best comeback to Pete Davidson because him and his wife rigged it up. So here they are. They went through these. They decided because his wife was like, the dude looks like a troll doll. So they started the jokes were about him being a worm infested troll doll. Yeah. It was, it, was a, it was a good segment. But the best was. He had his, uh, Dan Crenshaw lays his phone on the counter because they roll him in in a chair to the weekend update. So, like, you know, he's just surprised. Here he is. And uh, they roll him out there, and they do this whole back and forth. And then he has his wife call him, and he changed his ringtone to her uh, uh, Grande song because she had just dumped Pete Davidson, like, a week or two before. <laughs> and he had changed his ringtone. Oh, no. And he just looks at him. It's like, you know. And he's like, really? Oh, like, no. My balls are bigger than yours. I had a boy. Yeah. yeah. But he, he, but instead of being a victim, he just said, okay, cool. You know, yeah. because he thought about the intent. He's a comedian doing comedy. Sure. Maybe his, uh, the way he said things didn't come out right, the right way, but he was still a com- comedian doing comedy. Yeah. And you shouldn't get offended. It's like, you know, freedom of speech is still freedom of speech. Yeah. And it's the whole, he's like, if I was a victim, I would, oh my God, I need to fire him. He's like, I don't believe in the cancel culture. And he actually referred, he's now refers to it as the cancer culture because mm-hmm. it's a cancer in our society that if we don't agree with something that you, you know, for whatever reason, we want you can't, we don't want to argue or debate you. We just want you gone. And you see that, you know, with everything. And I mean, the book made me think, and it's, I mean, it's well worth a read. I mean, because it's written to everybody. I'm going to have to check that book out. It's well worth it, man. It's really good. So out of all the books that you had kind of previewed for this challenge, what made you pick that one? Because I like, I've uh, listened to several interviews with Dan Crenshaw. I've been interested in him. And he's very, very, I mean, his his military career is great. But his, his lack of, I already knew he wasn't a victim. He didn't play the victim game. He didn't play, I'm a wounded warrior, you should vote for me. It was, this is what I want to do for the country. And I've been watching uh, his, uh, he does videos on uh, social media on his votes. And I've been watching them before I read his book. And he will literally say, this is what, why I voted or why I did not, or why I voted yes or no on this bill. And what, you know, he calls it the truth. And he'll sit there and he'll spell it out for you. And he's amazing. And it's just like he's he's a representative, and he really believes in representing his people. And he believes in the founding of what the founding of this country really is. And so his book took precedent. There's another. There's a couple other ones I want to read. Uh, the Last Stands. 
where it goes over you know, basically throughout history the last stands of men and what made men knowing they were going to die stand. Make that stand. And, you know, like, uh, I, that one, that, that was a toss-up. You know, About Face was in there. Yeah. But I was like, but About Face is a huge book. I got to read that one. But I know, I did not know if I could get About Face done in two weeks. Oh, I don't know that you, that's a big book. Yeah, Crenshaw's was almost 300 pages. It was pretty difficult to get it done. I knew I wasn't going to get About Face done. Not, not enough to where I absorb all the information from it. Yeah. And do it, do it justice. But it it got me into, like, now I have a whole new list of books. Instead of just fiction, I've got all these other books, you know. My wife bought me Matt Best's, you know, Thank You for My Service. So that's next. Sweet. That was a Christmas present. Nice. We'll we'll look forward to hearing about that one on a a future podcast. So, awesome. So, Resilience by Dan Crenshaw was... Fortitude. Fortitude. I'm sorry. Fortitude. I was close. Fortitude was uh, Brother Jerry's pick. So, Cody, what was your book? Uh, I went with Musashi's Book of Five Rings. Legit. Legit yeah. book. I uh, I chose that one. I had it. I bought it years ago. Uh, just for whatever reason, I bought it, put it down, and never picked it up to actually read it. I've just heard so much from so many different people of influence, so many different competitors, the impact that this book has had. Uh, you set the 100-page minimum, and I got to thinking about some of the books that I already had. Did I say 100-page minimum? Anyway, keep going. I, I think you said around. Around 100 pages is what you know you were looking for. Something, okay. something doable, you know, around 100 pages or so, I think is what you you had went with. Um, and I, I checked with you guys, and I was like, hey, what, about, what do you guys think about reading this one? And you both were on board with it. And uh, so I went with that. I'm really glad that I went with it just... Uh, his perspective on things, I would be willing to wager that some of Dan Crenshaw's philosophies come from the writing of Musashi. You know, you hear Joe Rogan talk about it a lot. He actually has a tattoo of him. Uh, Jocko Willa yep. talks about it a lot. Uh, Matt Brown, one of my favorite UFC fighters, he has a tattoo of Musashi. Brother Scott has it on his, his backdrop of his yep. phone. So uh, this this man is just... Legendary, yeah, legendary. I mean, he, you know, hundreds of years after he died, he's still impacting society. He's he's still getting into the minds of influential people, and I've just I've heard so much about him and his writings and his teachings. It just it thought it just seemed like an an excellent read. Um, and one of the one of the quotes, one of my favorite ones, you know, in jujitsu, you hear a lot of the way you hear the people talk about the way uh one of my favorite shows the mandalorian they talk about this is the way i've actually adopted that in my uh my posts mr cody carter shameless plug a lot of my hashtags about fatherhood and being a man and and being a husband and being a jiu-jitsu practitioner you know hashtag this is the way uh but musashi writes in the book of fire that when you truly understand the way you can take any form that you want to. It is almost as if you had developed miraculous powers. You can become as light as a feather, as fluid as water, or as stiff as a board. Regardless of the form you take, once you have understood my strategy, you cannot be beaten by one man or 10,000. Your attitude slash no attitude cannot be stirred except from within. Once you have understood my strategy, you will become a warrior to be reckoned with. 
Uh, I see his influence, you know, in in lots of, including Bruce Lee. Bruce Lee always said, "Be like water." Mm-hmm. Maybe that was something he came up on his own as a philosophy student. Maybe that was something he got from Masashi. I don't know if he's ever been quoted as uh, taking teachings from him, but Bruce Lee was very, very much be like water. It can yeah. take any form that you want it to, or it can be as destructive as you need it to be. It can uh, fill up glass. Yeah. Or it can destroy the border. Exactly. So that was why I chose that book, uh, and I'm really, really glad that I did. It's a great book. I mean, it's the philosophy and... In it is amazing. I mean, he wrote that at the basically as, he, as after he retired from killing from, people. Yeah, from fighting. <laughs> I mean, the guy had so many duels, you know, and he learned so much. That I mean, yeah, Masashi was just one of those. It's you got to kind of take some of the Hollywood out of it because Hollywood exaggerates. Yeah. But the man literally, you know, known from another books, he won every duel. He defeated multiple people at once. He was a legend. And he also just didn't care. I mean, I think that was his that was his main thing was that, you know, he was just as he got when he was younger, he just didn't care. As he got older he did. And you could tell by his writing. But when he was younger, he just didn't care. If you ever get um really ambitious in your reading and you want to read a thousand page book that has type the size of the Bible you need to read Musashi it's the fictionalization of his life but it's based on it's based on his writings and what is recorded about him it's a thousand pages I need to build up my stamina for that it took me a little while to get through the goal you remember episode 100 of Jocko because Jocko's 100th episode was um, Tim Ferriss and Jocko talking about Musashi. And he kind of put it out there a couple months in advance. It was like, okay, on episode 100, we're going to be doing Musashi, so you guys need to be ready. So I started reading when he said, okay, get ready. And I had the book done in time for episode 100 of Jocko's podcast with Tim Ferriss. It was awesome. You need to go back and, and listen to it. But... What Jerry's saying about Musashi not caring and, and all of the things that he went through is portrayed in that book. And it's really, even though it's a fictionalization, it's pretty accurate fictionalization. And if you really want to peek inside of the dude's head, that book is amazing. Um, when you picked this book, I was very excited yeah. because it's not a very long book. But it's a very dense book. Yeah, yes. I, th- I told you that ahead of time. I told you that you may have to reread stuff. I read multiple paragraphs you more to, than one time. It, it's a very thick. It's a very dense book. I, yeah. the, the word thick is not right because it, I mean, the what, the, the version you picked up, man. Yeah. yeah, of course. Yeah, the version you picked up clocks in at, yeah, 100 and 106. Yeah. But it is still, it is so thick. I think it'll it's be so a book. dense. I think it's a book that I will end up reading over and twice over. a yeah. year. Yeah. I think I'll probably come back to it twice a year, once at the beginning of the year, once towards the end of the year. You know, I, I could see that being, a, until I really like absorb it maybe in time, I don't need to read it as frequently, but I, I see it being a book I read more than once a year. Minor suggestion pick up 
his other book, Dokodo, okay. which is The Art of Being Alone. That was the last book he wrote before his death. The, the, the legend goes he finished Dokodo and he died the next day. Um, and my, my recommendation would be read the Book of Five Rings at the beginning of the year and read Dokodo at the end of the year. Okay. Um, just from a yeah. balance standpoint. See, yeah, Masashi is just that guy. He was he was he would He's show up late for duels. He would show up drunk. That was part of his strategy. Yeah, he though. just did whatever. How do you spell Dokodo? D O K O D O, I believe. I mean, he's if you wanted like a more modern interpretation of him, Doc Holliday. Yeah, I that's mean, actually that's a great parallel. Yeah, I mean that's 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 who I think of. It's like a modern, a more modern adaption of him is Doc Holliday. Well, I don't care. I'm you know I'm not long for this world anyway. Let's enjoy it. Well, and if you think about, and I know we've. We've made the recommendation that, that Cody should read the Hagakure mm-hmm. as well, which is the Handbook of the Samurai. Mm-hmm. And the first, the first line of the Hagakure is the way of the samurai is death. Yep. So that kind of ties into the Doc Holiday thing as well, right? Because he's always saying, are you the one? Yeah. Are you a daisy? Are you yeah. the daisy? And what he's saying is, are you the one that's going to kill me? Yep, because I'm dying anyway. Because I'm dying anyway. I don't want to, yeah, he didn't want to die. Like TV. the samurai? Yeah, they always sought that uh, yeah. that opponent that could give them the honorable a perfect death. death, a perfect death. That's so did Doc Holliday. That's what he wanted. That's what he wanted because he was dying on TV. He didn't That's why die. he was so pissed at Johnny Ringo. Because yeah, he wanted. You're Johnny no Daisy. Ringo. You're he no wanted, Daisy at all. He wanted Johnny. Johnny Ringo was supposed to be the one because he was supposed to be a great, you know, pistolero, and he wasn't. Yeah, well, com- not compared not to Doc Holliday. But think about it, you're, you're you know, nowhere near where you should be compared to you know, a guy who's dying of TB. Yeah, a guy who's dying of TB and can barely get out of bed. Can still kick your ass. Yeah. So, Doc Holliday is a legend. I just ordered the book. Excellent. Awesome. Dakota. So thank Doc, you, because I didn't Holliday. know it existed. Yeah, Doc Holliday is one of those legends. Dakota is... It's on its way. You'll like it. Um, and if you want to read the Hagakura, you can borrow my copy if you want. Okay. Um, but so, out of all of the books that we that you could have picked from, why this one? Okay, so I think I maybe touched it earlier, but just from listening to lots of people who uh, I feel like I share values and philosophies and mentalities, I just I hear so many people over and over again talk about Musashi's writings. I've heard you guys talk about Musashi's writings. I've heard. Jocko talk about it. I've heard Joe Rogan talk about it. I've just I've heard lots and lots and lots of different leaders speak on his writings. And when I, I was looking through books I already had, I, I found this one and thought this is this seems perfect because yeah. I kind of forgotten that I had it. And I was looking at some of my books and found it and thought, okay, this is this is going to be the one. It met the criteria we talked about. Um, it. It seemed to be in line with people's opinions I already respect. So that's why I'm with that one. Awesome. Good enough. Yeah, good good choice. Good choice. All right, so I was the originator of this particular challenge. So um, I picked Your Best Year Ever by Michael Hyatt. Um, I picked it, I bought it because um, Ryan Mickler on the Order of Man podcast mentioned it as... 
a good book about goal setting and life planning. Um, and I've never been a terribly goal oriented person. Like what happens, kind of what happens in life happens. Um, So kind of what happens in life happens. And I have small goals, mm -hmm. but when it comes to life planning, like that's never been my thing. And my wife and I don't have kids and we're not gonna have kids. We can't have kids. Kids are, kids are a, a, a focusing point for the future, right? They're a, they're a thing that helps parents plan for the future. Their kids' futures and their futures. And like I said, we don't have kids. So in trying to lead my family, I'm trying to find ways to plan for our future. Like what does the future look like for us? Because we don't have kids. So a, a friend, a buddy of mine said, you know, he's got two daughters, they're out of the house. So he, he said, my wife and I are trying to figure out how to dream again. Now that, our kids are out of the house. And I was, I was thinking about that. I'm like, well, instead of living day to day, what would it look like if we tried, my wife and I, and I tried to live our lives a little bit more purposefully. And this book just sounded like it was worth looking into from that standpoint. Like I said, I've never been like, sit down and write my goals and five you know, year plan. five year plan. And right when Nathan asked Jerry and I like, what's your, what does it look like in five years? I'm like, fuck, I don't know. Yeah. Right. But that conversation was kind of like, well, why don't I know what my life, what I want my life to look like in five years? Mm -hmm. It's kind of scary that I don't know what I want my life to look like in five years. Yeah. So, you know, especially like I said, we don't have kids. So that, that locus for future planning is not there. Um, and Cody mentioned that when I brought the book in for the podcast, it's like tabbed all to hell and I got a notebook and you know, that goes along with it. And I've read a bunch of books like this, yeah. but I've, ne I've read them and I've put them aside and went, that was interesting and I've never imp really implemented never what was in the it. book. Yeah. So when one of my goals in reading this book was to intentionally read it. Mm and take notes and there's at the end of each chapter there, there's this is a five-step plan for achieving your most important goals and at the end of each chapter there is like an action plan like tasks you're supposed to do every book i've ever had before this i went oh that's cute and threw it away and i'm gonna go back and do that with the david goggins book and okay so i know exactly what you're talking okay, about okay so you see where I, i'm coming I've from i've listened to the audio and didn't do any of the challenges. Right. I know exactly what you're talking about. So I, my, my goal with this book was to read it intentionally, try to pull stuff out of it. And now that I've read it and I've actually started, that's why the notebook's here, 45 ACP inside, um, is to go back and actually do the challenges and try to work the process. Um, and he starts out, you know, like I said, it's a five-step plan and it's, um, you know, it starts with, Looking at your self-talk and changing, you know, defeating language in yourself into, um, you know, m more positive language. Looking at your past and kind of doing a, uh, an after-action review on your past, figuring out what you did wrong, what you can learn from it, what you can change going forward. Um, 
it's uh, you know figuring out your why, mm-hmm. which is kind of where I'm stuck right now. It's like, what's my why? Yeah. Because I don't have kids, I you know I have to find another why. And then it's you know building your your um, building your uh, processes and procedures, which of course is you know big for me, and then executing. And kind of those are the five steps. So my goal is now that I've read it, I've tabbed the shit out of the book, I'm going to go back and actually work the, the challenges and the tasks inside the book and try to implement this. So basically it breaks down to don't be a bitch. Eh, pretty much, yeah. That would be my self-help book. Okay, that, that, don't be a bitch! That's the subtitle. That'll Your be, best year ever, don't be a bitch. That's, now that's going to be my title in my book, don't be a bitch. It's going to be me lounging with a cigar and a glass of whiskey. Don't be a bitch. Have your cravat on. Yeah. And, you know, have like a cravat, some hobnail boots. One and cloth. Got to go with one cloth. One cloth. Um, but <laughs> anyway, so I, I, like I said, I picked this book um, because I see some things that I need to work on in, in my life and my relationship to try to keep it moving forward and... You know, it not turned into, we've been doing the same thing for you know, 20 years. Yeah. Um, because, like I said, we don't have that, that locus of growth that our kids, because my uncle didn't have any kids, and they were like the same people for like 40 years. I mean, my... There's no growth in that relationship. My son's 18 now, so we already started heading, well, what's next? Because he's 18. And, you know, I'm doing my growth. My wife is starting to do stuff, and we we're taking more trips together. To spend more time with me and her, because soon it'll be me and her. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So yeah, it's it's there's always a challenge. That's why I accepted uh, these challenge, you know, the in, to grow to grow you know, mentally. Because I mean, to be a better man, to be a better husband, I need to not only be physically healthy but mentally healthy. Mm-hmm. Yep. So um, I really enjoyed the book. Like I said, there's a lot to it. And now that I've read it, I'm going to go back and start working the process. Um, and that was part of my commitment to this particular book was not only reading it, but actually implementing yeah. the process. And, and the funny thing is when I went in and I read the book, there was actually a part of it where he talked about the same thing that you talked about with Crenshaw's book, mm-hmm. where, um, you know, we have this this life of leisure, but or not a life of leisure, but we have a relatively easy life, but we don't get a lot of fulfillment out of it, yeah. and that the fulfillment comes from struggle. Mm-hmm. So he mentioned that um, in this particular book. He mentioned there's actually a framework inside of this book that I can pull from one other book that I have. He mentions like in one sentence talking about like having three things that you do and like building your goals out and having your know, weekly goals, daily goals. And when we, he has one sentence about the daily, about three things that you do in a day. Well, I've got a whole nother book that I love that talks about how to do those three things in a day. And it's like, yeah. okay, well that frame that works in this particular framework. Um, he talks about a lot of things that we talk about in our group and things that I'm already doing. I'm just maybe doing it in a different way. Yeah. That if I reorient my process to how he does it, I could be even more efficient um, or more effective. And like I said, I've never been. When they talked about me, you know, when you, 
you probably were the same way when they did the whole goal setting thing in high school. You're yeah. like, bullshit. You know, I want to have sex with the prom queen, race a drag car, and you know, blow up the school mascot, right? Like those are my kind. You know, you kind of look at it and you go, why? Why am I doing this crap? Yeah. Right. But the way that Michael Hyatt explained it in this book, it worked for me in my mindset. Maybe I'm just in the place in my life now where this fits. Yeah. But it was a great book. I would highly recommend it. Um, so we'll put links to the Amazon um, store for each of these books yeah. in the show notes. So if you guys want to go back and grab them and see kind of where we're coming from with these books, you can. Um, yeah, Dan Crenshaw talks a lot. He, he talks a lot about, the, like I said, the Stoics, you know, ancient philosophers, and even more modern you know, like scientists that talk about suffering, that the issue with uh, the complaint culture is, and the victim culture is that they don't suffer. And they're, I'm not talking like, you know, like hardcore suffering, but suffering is something humans need. Persevere. There's actually a book, I'm going to have to find it, because it's a, a book about that after every traumatic in, incident you have good does come from it from mm -hmm. the suffering and it's like wow you know that's it's kind of out there so did you hear the um joe rogan podcast where he had everlast yeah on and and for the for the the rolling rocks fam who may not be familiar everlast was the lead singer for house of pain yep um he had some solo work after that but his daughter is is very ill and i don't recall what the illness is so forgive me everlast but joe rogan was telling him about jocko's good mm -hmm. um good theory right you know something bad happens good you get something out of it and everlast was like what what good can come out of my daughter being sick and joe rogan was like well you're going to remember the time that you spend with her yeah. more vividly than if she was well. You're going to spend more time with her because she's sick. So you're going to have even more um, exposure to your daughter. You're going to create more memories and more bonds and more, yeah. you know, more of these good memories and good patternings because your daughter's sick. Um, and that was the trail that, that Rogan went down. And back to what Brother Jerry was just saying, if you look, it's human nature that if we look back at hard times, we look back on them fondly. Yeah. All right, so that was the end of the Dark Siders Challenge. I think we're going to do this again next year. Yes, yes. Or at another point in time. Cause this year. Yeah. We could do it later. We're doing it this year. Yeah, we could do it like halfway through Technically. We could do it like January and June. This upcoming year. Yeah, okay. 2021. Well, Sounds good. Know, maybe every quarter or something. Yeah. Every quarter. Uh, yeah. And that's the, a lot of work, man. <laughs> Life's a lot of work. <laughs> oh, um, the, the thing that I found very interesting was the amount of work that we could get through in two weeks yeah, we when we were to. intentional. And But yet we all still found time to be together because we had a dinner party at Scott's and we have families and we have work and we still managed to get all of our stuff accomplished. Because there's you learn to prioritize. So no yeah. excuses. 
Zero excuses and yep. zero Fs. Yep. Cheers. Cheers. So, All right. we've got one last final bit of business yep. today. And that is, on the last episode, I tagged Brother Jerry for yep. his fantasy MMA matchup. So, again, this is going to be an ongoing thing. So, Jerry, your matchup. Alright, so I put a little effort into this because, you know, even with all the other challenges we were doing, I was like, I still need to bring the fire. So, Mark Coleman. Oh, Mark Hammer Coleman. Okay. Lightweight, he- light, he- light heavyweight and heavyweight champion. Head coach all of Hammer House. Hammer House versus Kane Velasquez. Oh! Okay! See, I Damn. wanted to go a little deep into... Wow. I wanted to go deep into not just, like, you know, because there's so many people it's just like, but looking at these two guys' styles, I'm like, oh my God. Imagine if they met at Coleman's prime and before Velasquez took injuries. Yeah. Because Velasquez was the motherfucking man. Before he, he got hurt. He started his, taking yeah. injuries and his body, I guess, I mean, he wrestled. I mean, so did Coleman. But Mark, Cain Velasquez, an all-American wrestler, he did so much. I think his body just gave out mm-hmm. a little quicker than I. And, and then he, he wasn't yeah. recovering properly because he was taking a lot of fights really fast. Yeah, he, he there's never, so much to durability in the fight. Didn't yeah, you? I mean, it, and yeah. his injuries were severe. But so did Mark Coleman. You read They're his history, his and he never he wouldn't heal from one fight to the next. I mean, he'd be like, "I'm not quite done," and here I am fighting again. I they still didn't understand the science of recovery no. like they do now. I mean, you got Mark Coleman he tore a rotator cuff and literally took the fight, took a fight with a torn rotator cuff because he's like, ah, I still got to fight. I got a family to feed. I mean, but I'm talking prime, not yeah. later in Coleman's career when he faked that one fight, when he actually took a loss and got paid to take a loss mm. and even admitted that he got paid to take a loss. Well, his words were, I got guaranteed a second fight and more money, so it is what it is. Is all he would answer when he it was a business decision. Yeah, there because the guy that he lost to was his boss was to be his boss. He was going to pay him. Wow! So he lost to him. Okay, John Dupont. <laughs> hey man, you do. I mean, do what you no. have to do. When you're Carl Coleman's position, no, I'm not taking the later stage. Yeah, later stage in his career, he needed the money to support his family because there's no retirement plan yeah. for these guys. You do what you got to do, man. I understand. Getting submitted by a hill hook to make somebody look good. Fuck it. You know, he didn't get knocked out. He just heel hooked submission. Hmm. But versus Cain Velasquez, probably, you know, right after he won the title the first time uh, when he beat Verdum. So, what do y'all guys think? I'm going Cain. His striking, speed, I think it's just too much. I think the um, wrestling stalemates and I think the speed of Cain Velasquez. His striking, I think, would be too much to Coleman. Much you, Scott. I'm going. I'm going Coleman. If we're talking prime Coleman with that crazy fucking blast double that he mm-hmm. had, I'm thinking he takes Kane off of his feet and has he's got hmm. better top control. Ground God his ground God. control was, he was better. Known as the god of, of ground and pound. Yeah, he was. His ground control was better than Kane's in in his prime. So let me ask you this, because I think this is an important question. Would you take... No, but seriously, because the game changes. Sure. Right? So the game changes. So when Coleman was at his prime, being the best at what he did, he was also doing it against people that didn't have the knowledge of the game. So are you taking Cain Velasquez as is and putting him in the game 
during Coleman's prime. I'm adding a whole new caveat to this challenge now. Or are you going to pull prime Mark Coleman into today's game? See, I'm, I go back prime prime. Mm. I, and I have I have an exp- I have my answer on what who I thought because I put a lot of effort into who won. So and are we talking cage or are we talking ring? Okay, we're talking cage because okay, uh, Velasquez so only Cain Velasquez only did UFC for the most part in WWE, but that's that doesn't count. I'm taking Kane. I'm still taking Prime Kane. I, okay, so his I pace, think, his durability, his striking, his I takedown think, defense. If you want to get into like what they knew then versus what they know now, I will 100% admit that Kane's fight IQ is higher. Fight IQ because I think part of I mean Coleman was a, a stud. Coleman was a dude, but you also have to look at the level of competition that he was fighting. In his prime, the, the level of wrestler was not the same. The level of people with takedown defense was not the same. That's how I look at it when I think about these fantasy matchups. Like, yes, Mark Coleman made people look very, very bad, but Mark Coleman was also a lot better at what he was doing than what those other guys were at defending it. Whereas you take a guy like Kane, I don't think he's taking Kane so, down like he did other people. I, no disrespect to Mark no, Coleman. No, Mark Coleman was a man. He was he An yeah no I'm, I, I'm not implying any and I'm disrespect. Be quiet now. No no you're good. No that's what um, this is all about. I find your comment about the about the caliber of wrestler being better now than then slightly interesting because if you Mixed want martial arts wrestler. He's talking. Yeah, he's talking overall. I'm not talking pure, pure wrestling. I'm yeah, talking, because not talking collegiate. NCAA yeah, because if you want to look at at a a style that is almost cast in amber, yeah. it's collegiate wrestling. Yeah, it's, you basically do the same things. So I mean, and, you know, and, and there there are innovators, right? You've got Corellin, you've got Rulon Gardner, right? You've got these guys that have done really amazing things, but you know, collegiate wrestling is is kind of an art trapped in amber. Um, so I, I find that statement slightly interesting. I'm I'm still gonna go with Mark Coleman. Yeah, I look okay. at the well, way that Brock took down Kane. Kane's cheek touches the mat, and it's almost like he bounced off the ground. And we're talking about a guy who's arguably as good of a wrestler, bigger, stronger, faster, better athlete. And you look at what Kane did to him. That that's why I go with Kane. All right, so since all this right, was, so yeah, this is, this is my your fantasy. challenge. Yeah, so, sorry. so I put this in the cage of the UFC. Okay. See, Coleman only he normally did time limits. You know, twenty minutes straight. You know, ten minutes straight. They didn't have rounds back in his prime. So I put took that into consideration, and I looked at uh, their styles. And like you said, I you know I even actually went back and found like old YouTube videos. You know, to look. Because Mark Coleman, yeah, you know, he was a motherfucking stud. But he was also fighting guys that, depending on their style, would become an issue for him. So I actually even looked through and thought, and I came up with, I think it'd be, if I had to call it, it'd be Cain Velasquez. Yes! Okay. By knockout in the third round. Because his boxing was because decidedly Mark better. Mark Coleman's pace. biggest his issue pace. was his striking. He got knocked out a few times. He get knocked yeah. down a few times. Wrestling ability, if you look at their wrestling ability, I think they're damn near equal. They both have the same pedigree collegiate-wise. Both are, are, are champions. Both are high-level wrestlers. Cain Velasquez is naturally taller and bigger. 
Mark Coleman fought heavyweight and light heavyweight. He typically fought about 210, 215, but he went up to 260. Cain Velasquez is, is like between 220, 240. You know, it depends on who he's fighting. He'll put a little weight on because if he's fighting a bigger guy, he'll he'll keep the weight for, you know. Yeah. But I looked I looked into this a lot. I did watch videos. I mean, I was like, man, and I I mean I love Mark Coleman. He is Hammer House was one of those elite teams. And he was, you know, the god of ground and pound was one of his monikers. But I don't think Looking at it, I don't think, like Cody said, I don't think he could have took Kane down and did that to him. Kane is, not only is he a legit wrestler, but he's also legit black belt jiu-jitsu. Hmm. So him off his back is not where Coleman wants to get him. Coleman's ground and pound was against guys who knew no jiu-jitsu. After he started losing, he went and started training with jiu-jitsu guys because he was getting beat yes. by jiu-jitsu guys. Yeah, he was. So taking so a blast doubling Kane might not be the best place Coleman wanted to be. And I looked at that fact. It's like, man, Kane Velasquez is a, is a true legit black belt jujitsu. Putting that big motherfucker on his back and being in his guard because you blast doubled him, it's probably the last place you want to be for Coleman. Because you're not taking him out. You're not just going to fly in the mount against Velasquez. But Velasquez is striking. In his heyday, before all the, the shoulder injuries, before the knee injury where he moved, for a guy his size, I mean, look at what he did to Travis Brown. I mean, he schooled Travis Brown. Yeah. And Travis Brown, I mean, people overlook him because he had some losses at the end, but that motherfucker could move like a lightweight. Kane's that dude moves. Cardio, yeah. When he could train uninjured, his pace for a heavyweight well, think about his was wife. amazing. His, his wife's a soccer player, ain't she? I'm, yeah, I believe yeah. you're right. So his car, he trains a lot of the same stuff she does for soccer. Did so she trains for 90-minute matches. So he's training all this high-intensity cardio. So, yeah, when other people are gassed out in the fourth round, he's like, dude, what? Did you what? know that I believe it was his mom? So, like, growing up, he didn't really know Spanish. Yeah. But, like, when he got the brown pride and was, like, pushing this, like, hey, I'm from Mexico type thing, like... His, I don't know if it was his mom or who it was, but somebody was like, hey, if you're going to go with this whole, like, brown pride thing, you better learn Spanish. Yeah. <laughs> like, it wasn't his first language. Right. Yeah, I mean, what, I mean, which hmm. is, well, it's the same with, like, And there's a lot of Hispanic families that, Hispanic families that move to America and their kids are born here or they and bring them here Spain, when yeah. they're very, very little, they won't teach them yeah, Spanish, Spanish because yeah. they want them to grow up To American. integrate. But what's well, like Tito Ortiz. Tito Ortiz comes out with, the flag, half of it's American, half of it's Mexican, which is probably cool as shit. I, I like that idea because, you know, he's saying, yeah, I'm this, but I'm also this. You know, that's what makes, that's what makes America great, man. We, are in, in, you know, we become, we keep our culture, but we kind of inter, intermix into this weird I culture. A, I don't know. I have a huge issue with taking any flag, any two flags and turning them into one. I, I personally have an issue with that. You want to carry two? Maybe I'm no. He does. He, he carries two. Okay. Okay. I have a he huge has, issue that he when carries you take two, any one single it's flag and turn it into two. Half. You know, he carries two flags side by side. Yeah. So you see on one side is the American flag, gotcha. one side is the Mexican flag. He does it. It's not one flag he adjusts. Gotcha. He carries two flags to the ring. Because that's he's like, just both sides of him, yeah. which I understand. Okay. I'm you know, He's trying that. to be respectful. I mean, Tito. Uh, a lot of people do it, but. Like, go back to the fight. I went to this really hard. 
I sat there and last night I actually was still looking at it because I was leaning, you know, a draw or a five round decision. But I was like, well, I poured a glass of Buffalo Trace <laughs> and I added a little bit more work. Got a little mental lubrication. And I started, you know, look, and, you know, started doing my columns, A, B, you know, who's better here, who's better here. Well, based on the opponents, the, the level of challenge, you know, like Cody said, I mean, the, the level of challenge now is a lot better than it. You look at some of Mark Coleman's biggest wins were against guys who had no real MMA talent. They had one thing, one thing only. They knew this. They had one thing they'd excelled at and maybe and one it. other thing mm-hmm. they understood. And he would, black, you know, yeah, he would take these dudes down and just beat the shit them because they were just strikers only. Get a takedown and ground and pound. I mean, some of his biggest wins are against guys that had nothing. But then his biggest losses were against guys who started that early age of MMA who started putting stuff together. And, you know, he, he, he was legit for his time frame for what it was. But overall, like I said, I think King Velasquez would knock him out, would probably be a complete knockout third round. Because Coleman's biggest liability was his cardio. And that was his own words. His yeah. cardio cardio was horrendous. After about 10 minutes, he was done. And you think Velasquez is on top of you? Uh, and that's a rough night from after, then on. That's a minutes, long, short night. I, yes. I, give Car- I give Coleman, you know, Coleman could probably stay with him for two rounds. But you get in that third round, and I think Velasquez, because – I watched it, went back and watched a lot of old videos of Coleman, and Coleman would be would have hands on knees at like minute six. I'm tired. I'm bent over. I'm sucking air. And I thought I was thinking, it's like, man. So halfway through the second round, he's gassed. Yeah. So start of the third round, Velasquez is going to raise the tempo with his striking. It's a lot of muscle to keep moving for and, 25 yep, minutes. Exactly. And Velasquez will start as bigger and taller. And, and his better footwork. Yep, yeah, and his footwork. I was like, he's going to come out striking in the third round him. because he's going to see that. Because I've watched King Velasquez's fights. If he sees you getting tired, he speeds up his yep. striking. He starts just throwing more and more strikes because you're so tired you can't defend. And then he gets a takedown. He normally uses it to get a takedown. But I can see him knocking Coleman out. Because Coleman had several brutal knockouts. He also had several... Uh, legit submissions, not counting the hill hook, so he could get money. <laughs> but it's it's just it was one of those. It's like man, you know, we talked about Mark Coleman with the fantasy that no one really talked about him, and he's an icon. And Kane Velasquez is, you know, he's going to be a Hall of Famer. Uh, he retired from mixed martial arts after the Ngano knockout, but that was dude couldn't even get his shoulder up. I don't know how he got. But did he like blow out his knee before he got knocked out? He what, he what? said his knee went. He said his knee felt funny, but it was his shoulder. He couldn't even raise his arm. It's like how did he pass the physical? Because he couldn't even get that arm up the block. He'd already had uh, several surgeries on his shoulder, and his shoulder was so stiff he couldn't block. So when Ngano started throwing them bombs, he couldn't get his arm up to defend. The whole the whole left side of his head was open. I just saw him. He went to like step in, and his yeah. knee just his buckled. knee, bu- yeah, and but then, then he got cracked. Yeah, he said like, he was a, he. But when afterwards, he's in an interview I watched. He said that that he got caught in the ear, and then well, he got took one in the back of the head, and that so he's too. like, my knee. I didn't blow my knee. He said, I think my knee. I was starting to get wobbly, and it looked like my knee was going. 
because he didn't his knee ended up being okay. But I mean he's had surgeries on it before, so I mean he could just be weak. I mean yeah, you know, you've had surgery and every once in a while he looked every year yeah. in that fight. He, he but his shoulder wasn't ready, yeah. and that's just like he took the fight because he was afraid to lose his contract because they were pressuring him to fight, and it's just like. Well, you, Man, you can't even defend yourself. How'd you even get cleared for a physical? You can't even get your arm up to, to properly defend your head, and they're putting you against one of the a guy who's only going to throw headshots. Yeah. And Ganu's not a body puncher, dude. Well, he is now. But then, I mean, all he did was the headshot. He was just hunting for your head. It is dynamite. Yeah. TNT dynamite explosive. And now like, he's, and you take one of those on the ear, type yeah. you take one of those on the ear, the back of the neck, yeah. and right, I mean, right behind the ear. Yeah, yeah. That, that'll turn, the that'll turn that whole side of the the that body off. Yeah, right. I mean, he takes that shot, and yeah, I mean, everything just on that oh, side. Oh, you'll goes, be. You'll, that's why I think his knee is out before he ever hit the ground. I think yeah. if you look, if you, I went back and we watched that segment after hearing him say that he took the shot to the ear and the shot to the back of the head. And that he didn't, he didn't blow his knee. He just, it was the result of that. And it's like, okay, you can see it. He's wobbly. But either way, he couldn't put any weight on his leg. I mean, that's it not was good the, either. Was probably that nerve. Yeah, I mean, it was the, it's like he's like Scott just said, man. You take that. I mean, you've been punched before. I mean, you take that hard shot, and your brain is like, ah, fuck this, we're done. Like <laughs> we're, we're gonna protect knees ourselves. quit. Every everything south of Fall your neck, bye. We're done. <laughs> Fall down. It's yeah. like uh, one of Richard Pryor. Self defense. Self defense. It's like Richard. <laughs> yeah. Richard Pryor did a thing about when he was a boxer because he used to be a Golden Glove boxer. And he does a whole skit about getting punched. And he's like, you know, I thought I was doing pretty good until the dude punched me in my liver. And oh he's my like, God. my whole body said, fuck you, we're done. That is one of the most painful things. And it's it's slightly delayed. Like when yeah. you get, you're hitting a sternum, the wind gets knocked out of you. Fight last night. Like, I see remember my, I was sparring with a buddy, Lee Swecker. Uh, shout out Lee Swecker, mastering MMA on Lee. Instagram and uh, Facebook and YouTube. But I remember one time we were sparring. He throws a left hook, if I believe. As he's in mid-throw, he calls it like a bank shot. You know, he's liver, and then he connects. And I'm sitting here for a split second like, jackass because he i'm thinking he gotta take one step forward and all of a sudden there's that slight delayed yeah. onset and the next step was going down on a knee and be like all right i'm, I'm done i'm done uh, like, like getting, getting well, last, the liver is miserable last night in boxing you had uh, ryan garcia versus luke campbell and luke campbell drops garcia in the second round it's like god damn luke, luke campbell is going to win and then garcia catches him with a liver shot and they're tied up and then you see garcia i mean campbell just kind of go to his knee he's like and it's it's involuntary. I mean, yeah, you get he just hit, go to his knee. I don't know if you guys have ever been hit in the liver. Okay. But not hard enough. Then not no. to that extent. Then no, you've never really been hit in the liver. Yeah. You'll know when yeah. you've been hit in the liver. You know, I've watched. There's I've, nothing you can do I've heard it. people talk about it and like I said, I've seen enough fights where you can see them just like, they're still in mid-throw and then it's like their body seizes up and they're just like They either down. fall or they start backpedaling uh -huh. because they're in so much pain. Yeah. I mean, it's... Who was it? Jessica Kagan, uh, the uh, woman's what yeah. uh, 140 pounder she took one her last fight and she backpedaled and collapsed her knee and the referee luck, luckily the referee realized and he ran in before she got hurt because 
she took it to the liver, and it, I mean, and she there was nothing you can do about it. I yeah. mean, you just your body locks up. Down. Yeah. Your body says no. Bass rooting, I mean, that was what one of that his, was his favorite, favorite he shots. for your liver. He would get you. He would throw high shots to get your side yeah. open, so he could catch you with a kick or a punch it, to your liver. It's bad because it's a good way to stop a fight. It's so bad. Who was it that Crocop knocked out with that liver shot? Oh, uh, Mark Coleman. Was it yeah, Mark Coleman? Yeah, he might have been. Yeah, yeah, he kicked. He, 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 he kicked. The Mike. guy went. The, yeah. he doubled over. Yeah. He no, 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 and fell into the bottom of. I think it was fell Mark into the corner. He 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 knocks he knocked Coleman out with a body shot, and I think it was a liver shot. Yeah, because Crocop was one of his brutal knockout. Well, he was losses. a left leg kick artist. Yeah, so the head kick and the body, the liver kick and the head it was kick all were, there. It but was he all had, day, which is funny because then Crocop got beat by Brandon Job. Who's <laughs> not exactly, you know? I wish Crow Cop. I wish we could have prime Crow Cop we need in a, the UFC now. I'm, I'm thinking, I'm Crow Cop's where I want my next fantasy yeah. f- mix up. So probably yeah, yeah. Crow Cop versus someone legit. Crow Cop was legit for what he did. Right I leg, mean, hospital, he's a kick, left leg, left leg, cemetery. Yeah, I mean he was a kickboxer. I mean yeah. he was Croatian special forces. Yeah, the ground. He wasn't. He just wasn't that good on the ground. Mm-hmm. That was his his thing. Was yeah. once you got him down, you could just do shit to him. Well, if I remember when he came into the UFC and Krokop fought, um, John Silva. No, no, it was uh, gosh, what was his name? Gosh, anyway. It basically Krokop or Krokop had a warm up fight, and then he had one more fight, and the winner of that fight was going to be a title shot. And I remember Randy Couture was a title holder, and he said, "I would rather fight Krokop because if you walk him down, he does not fight well fighting backwards. It's yeah. when you let him walk you down." Yeah. Who was it? It was I mean, it was the kick heard around the world before Pettis kick. It was the head kick. That Crow Cop took. Crow Cop got knocked out by the head kick, doubled it, over. It was it was Giant Silver. No, it wasn't. I, I promise you, it wasn't him. It was um, he did a bare knuckle boxing fight recently. It was not Giant Silva. It was uh, oh gosh, fans, I know you're I'm listening looking. right now, screaming at the podcast. It was it was the same guy that Randy Couture fought. He took him down, and when he took him down, he head butted him in the nose. And broke his nose, and then he tried to call for like a timeout during the fight. Um, it was, gosh. So he beat Eddie Sanchez the first time around. Who's the next guy? Who did he fight after Eddie Sanchez? It was just like his second UFC fight. Gabriel Gonzaga. Gonzaga. That's not. That's right. Yeah, 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 Gabriel Gonzaga. Gonzaga. Yeah. Yeah. He that's said. Right. Yeah, Randy Couture said, "I'd rather fight Krokop than Gonzaga." Because of that's their a styles. legit call. Yeah. Because yeah. Gabriel Gonzaga is fucking terrifying. But what's funny is that like he, Gonzaga he got him with was the right like high kick. a billion to one underdog. Like it was. Well, Gabriel Gonzaga was like, yeah, I can understand where Couture is coming from. Can Gonzaga will walk you down? You could. It was hard to move Gonzaga backwards. Gorilla. I mean, yeah, you could move him backwards. He he would take a shot, and just keep. Str- he would yeah. stalk you down. Where he realized with Crow Cop, okay, if you make Crow Cop walk backwards, yeah. he can't fight as well. That's what Brendan Schaub did to him. He he start what Schaub's. It's one of his best, highest level victories in his you know in his UFC career was he started to fight with a high head kick to Crow Cop. Just to, that's how yeah. the first he just to get his he threw attention. a high kick and Crow Cop kind of shook it off. 
And he was like, yeah, is that what we're doing? And then, you know, Shab finished with a knockout. But, because he, you know, he got Krokop to start moving yeah. backwards. Well, before the the, um, the Fedor fight, when they were interviewing Fedor, he's like, how do you think this is going to go? And Fedor said, well, it depends on if Krokop gets on his bike. Yeah. He runs away, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Think about Col- think Coleman was supposed to fight Fedor and it never happened. Who? Coleman was supposed to fight Fedor. Coleman lost Fedor by armbar. Yeah, but that was but that was. They're supposed to have a rematch. It, they, yeah, there's that, a whole lot of. He would iffy. have lost to Fedor at any time. There's a whole lot of iffy iffy on that one. He'd have yeah. lost to Fedor at any time. Oh yeah, I, I think Fedor would have knocked him out. That that whole armbar thing, I think was. I don't think it had anything to do with Fedor. I think it was somebody paying Coleman because that was he, little, he little, lost little, like six out of seven fights at the end of his career. Little Nobuhiku Nobu Kibara getting in there with that uh, Yakuza money. Yeah. yeah, that was hey man, you're gonna lose this fight, and he lost quick too. Yeah, I think I it was mean, two minutes and yeah, forty four seconds. Because yeah. I was looking it up before we were talking about yeah, it. Yeah, it was like a quick. That's what I'm saying. He was, it was two forty four in the first round. He should have fought a legit. Fight. Well, how you took that heel hook in less than a minute. Yeah, well. Well, if you're going to lose one. If you're going to lose, lose fast, right? Yeah, so you don't get embarrassed. Good call, uh, Brother Jerry. That was a good one. So who do you... Uh, who Cody, do you... Cody's going to come up with one next. All right, so Cody's got the tag for the next fantasy matchup. So. Don't threaten me with a good time. I, that's what I've heard about you. You know what? Written on the we also need to sooner or later do tag team. We do. That would do like awful. a battle royal. God. Like while they're both fighting at the same time, or you tag team, like Russian tag team, like Russian tag team MMA, or do like a battle royal. Oh gosh! Like twenty minutes. They start with two ten, men. And twenty minutes. Ooh, elimination cage. chamber. Like, like a royal like rumble style. Yes. Twenty minutes in a cage. Oh, this is gonna be awesome. Survive. Hell in a cell. Uh. All right. So that was the uh, the wrap up of the Dark Sider Challenge. And Jerry's uh, awesome fantasy matchup for this week. So we will be back next week with another show. Yep. We're gonna. We've got quite a few guests lined up. So we're gonna uh, release um, that schedule here in the next week or two. But thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Welcome to 2021. We're yes, finally sir. past 2020. Yep. So just remember that the year is just a date. It's what you guys make of it. Yep. So don't let 20. 20 versus 2021 be what gets in your way. You can make the best out of every day. So, for Jerry Armantrout, Cody Carter, I'm Scott Barker. You've been listening to Rolling Rocks Radio. Thank you very much. We'll talk to you next week. Uh, Peace. Later. The music for tonight's episode was But I Am Shafts of Light by Mayeth from their album Wailing Village.